AJ, uh, you know, we, we started this podcast um, seven, eight, six, seven, eight months ago. And, uh, you know, if, if some of you listeners have been with us from the beginning, you know that the catalyst for this podcast that brought us uh, together on this particular endeavor is AJ's uh, really stellar book, After Doubt. Uh, if you haven't read it, shame on you. Go out and buy it. I'm just kidding. But you definitely shame. should read it because it's super helpful. I recommend it all the time to people. But I was, you know, chatting with uh, AJ earlier, and I said, um, it'd be really interesting after, you know, six, seven, eight months just to check in on uh, where's the conversation? Because AJ wrote this book, After Doubt, to really engage with people who are wrestling with questions and doubts, and sometimes we call it deconstruction. Uh, So I talked to AJ about doing an episode after After Doubt. Uh, which is just picking up this conversation again. This book's been out there in the world. You know, if you're not on the side of, you know, writing books and things, uh, we put a lot of time and effort into this, and we don't expect it to sell millions of copies, but we really hope that something happens with the mm-hmm. book. Yep. And so my sense is, from just the many times I've recommended the book, and I've read the book, and I've enjoyed it, is uh, it's 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 touched upon something important uh, that people are wrestling with, especially during the pandemic and during some of the uh, civil religion stuff we're wrestling with and Trump's America stuff that we've been wrestling with. Um, And so AJ, I want to just uh, check in with you. Um, I'm guessing you get emails, messages uh, from all over the place about the book. Maybe some people absolutely love it. Maybe some people are pushing back on what you wrote. I'm sure you've had a few reviews, um, maybe in journals or online, uh, Amazon and whatnot. Not that Amazon reviews are the mm. gold standard of review. But uh, I'm curious, uh, what's what's been the conversation like? What's been the feedback like? What, what do you think has been um, mm. funding these conversations about doubt. Well, kudos first to um, Brazos for their um, incredible generosity to put this Mm. book out there and their belief in the project. Um, I've said this in many venues. I'm very proud of this book because it's the only book I've ever read. I've ever, I've ever written that my wife actually enjoyed. Wow. Um, and, and I, I know Quinn, you're probably listening to this and I'm not shaming you. It, it's, it's not to say my other stuff isn't good, It, but it does mean something to have the person that you care more about than anyone else to go like, this is actually very meaningful. And, and, and you've, you've done something here. I don't know. You know, when somebody who's closest to you and knows all your foibles is able to say, this actually represents right. something beautiful from you. That means a lot. So totally. that, that to me is the, it's not an Amazon review, but it is the review that means the most uh, to me. Um, I've been surprised. Yeah. So first, the, the the book has done very well in terms of 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 its readership. I'm very pleased with that. What has surprised me has been, and I sort of anticipated this. Um, what has surprised me is um, the critical reviews uh, almost exclusively come uh, from people who, in the normal world, would hate each other. So meaning <laughs> meaning. Um, uh, an individual from the far left and an individual from the far right theologically really have a hard time with the book. Yeah. Um, 
And those two groups of people in the normal world don't have much to agree with, but apparently they find some agreement in their <laughs> common in their, enemy. In their common You're a common enemy. enemy. And so for the, you know, the far uh, left person, um, they could read the book and say um, that it's uh, squashing or silencing um, the deconstruction voice of the person who needs to, 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 to go through the process. Um, I'm very clear in the book about my convictions around uh, sort of uh, historically um, uh, a historic view of sexuality. And sure. um, I'm also very clear about m- my views on women in ministry and how affirming I am. So that those two things don't often go in the same space sure. together. Yeah. So on the left, um, you know, the individuals who don't like uh, being called a, um, uh, a bouncer or, or a gatekeeper uh, for yeah. the conversation. But on the far right as well, when you even begin to broach the conversation of doubt and deconstruction, um, it's as though you're opening up a door to some slippery slope somewhere. Um, and it, and it is, well, you're, you're just, you're just once again, you know, watering the gospel down by addressing where people are, uh, are, are at. So I'm not surprised. I anticipated that the sort of, people that would feel as though this project was uh, a waste of time would be from those two camps. The coolest stories, Nijay, are people um, who have read the book. And, and boy, I almost feel like crying talking about this, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I read, I read uh, one uh, man sent me an email um, and his wife uh, is in the throes of full on deconstruction and he's pastoring a church and he uh, gave the book to his wife and it was, um, it was a resource that allowed them to finally be able to have common language together. Mm -hmm. And they're able to talk about this deconstruction experience, you know, and he can't talk to his church about it because, you know, it's the pastor's wife, his wife, and, and she can't talk about it because she doesn't want to hurt him. And I love that it gave them a way to talk. And he wrote to me and said, finally, we're able to talk. We're not agreeing on stuff, but we're talking about it. And I would hope that, that this book, actually helps moms talk to their kids and kids talk to their, their people they go to church, people to talk to people they go to church with and how to talk to a pastor about your, your deconstructions and your doubts. So that to me, man, I'm going to put my head on the pillow at night being pleased that this book at least gives a framework in which people can talk to one another because more often than not, we're not even talking to each other about what's actually going on inside. We're just dismissing or not talking or just ignoring. Um, And the fruit that comes from that honest dialogue to me can only go to good places. So I'm pleased, very pleased with that. And there have been some remarkably um, kind and generous and positive reviews. There are a number of universities that are using it in their freshman, you know, freshman spirituality classes or theology courses. And I'm super pleased with that. And th- there have been some heroes along the way, people like you, uh, Dr. Sandy Richter uh, down at Westmont, yeah. um, Richard Beck, who have been very um, affirming of the work and have helped get it out there. So yeah, overall, I'm very pleased. But you don't ever write something uh, and then finish writing it in your own head. You're already thinking of ways that you wish you would have done a thousand things differently. And I could tell you 20 things right now that I, um, since the writing, already disagree with myself about. So <laughs> that's, uh, I think, a normal process. Well, you know, and that's a philosophy of writing, isn't it, where you don't write something as the definitive yeah, that's right. study of. I mean, there are books like that out there, but at least with this kind of thing where you're dealing with a dynamic thing of Christian faith— uh, it's not meant to be this, um, okay, this book will replace all other books, no. you know. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, um, 
I mean, can you talk about maybe something where you thought, oh, gosh, I probably should have written an extra chapter to address mm-hmm. X? Mm-hmm. What, what would X be? Yeah, I would have, uh, without question. By the way, there are a lot of books coming out on deconstruction now. I know, uh, for example, um, uh, there's a book coming out. Uh, uh, there's a variety of really, I think, important resources on this topic that are going to be coming out. I actually don't think I should name them because I don't know if their titles have actually been solidified mm-hmm. yet. But yeah, I would have, no question, uh, if I could do the book over again, I would have done a whole chapter on uh, church trauma. Um, yeah. Because after the book came out, that became the conversation. And I I touch on it, uh, but not in depth. And so it was after the right after the book came out that allegations about uh, Ravi Zacharias came out and all, all this stuff that, that just, um, I, I so wish I could have gone back and just written a whole chapter on that, that d- dynamic of, of church trauma. And now we're sitting here. One of the most listened to podcasts in the world right now is the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. Uh, Mike Cosper's just done a, a magnificent job at this podcast. There's plenty of flaws with it as are, are with our podcast for heaven's sake. Um, but th- this is, this is a very important moment in the history of the Western Church. Yes, a, it is. A, a reckoning, a reckoning. It's it's almost a reckoning with, mm. um, with our sin, and I praise God for it. It needs to happen. Um, it it needs to happen, and it's painful and it's difficult uh, for all of us. Uh, it's painful for myself. It's painful to recognize ways that I know I have traumatized and hurt people. Mm. Um. I know after writing after doubt, um, one particular story that I'm just I just I lose sleep over of knowing I'm writing something in a book that I know I failed at when I was in pastoral ministry. Right, you know, and that's that's very painful. That's, that's very painful to know that you are complicit and 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 you. But that's the gospel for me. You know, is is. Um, I get to get up every morning, maybe a little bit like Saul did. I get to wake up and say, "Yeah, I used to run around and." do X, Y, and Z, but today, there by the grace of God, I am who I am, and Mm -hmm. I'm the least of these, but I I get a new chance today, too. Um, But yeah, I would have written a whole, man, I almost would have written the whole book around that topic, because right now, it is the conversation um, people are having uh, around dinner tables. Um, I've I've no less than 10 people who I've said, you need to listen to the church, uh, the Marshall podcast, right. who have afterwards texted me and said, like, I don't, what do I do with this? I don't even know what to, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so What's interesting, because you talk about Dow as, uh, you know, kind of the elephant in the room that your, you know, your book allows people to talk about, you know, everyone sees the elephant, but no one is allowed to talk about it. And I think what mm-hmm. you've done, I remember when we, when I first read the book, we talked about, it, I told how much I loved it, but I also said, you don't say anything brand new. It's not no, like you've nothing. unlocked yeah. the secrets no. No. of dealing with doubt. It's not about that. It's just saying, okay, there's this thing that we should all talk about. Yeah. And I think in many ways, that's what this Myers Hill podcast is doing as well, is they're saying there's this thing that we all know about. It's happening all over the place. But um, let's do an audit. Let's look at this carefully. And yeah. let's call call out what needs to be called out. My dad told me once, uh, my dad's a physician. He was a physician before retiring. He told me once that um, in medical school, um, when you are a first-year resident, right after medical school, you become a resident those sort of first years, you learn that in hospitals, most teaching hospitals, um, they will have uh, a weekly session where the if if there was a major malpractice case that week, 
the person who made the mistake comes in and presents on their mistake to all of these medical students. And they will openly discuss, this is how I botched it. I mean, this person died because I didn't do this, and we're in the midst of a lawsuit, and I'm, it's, it's absolutely horrible. That that it's actually built in. It's built into the the system to verbally discuss our failures and mistakes. And I think the reason American Western Christians are so uncomfortable with that is we think that if we're honest about that out publicly, it diminishes our message. And I've come to believe, I mean, I listened, my, if you, in terms of the, the people I listen to, when you listen to the Holy Post podcast or Preston Sprinkle, or you listen uh, to people like um, uh, The Place We Find Ourselves, when you listen to the, there's just a whole variety of a cottage industry of podcasts out there that just name um, ways in which the church has, has just missed it. They, they are actively preaching the gospel through the mistakes of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I think older generations fail to recognize that for young people, um, the gospel is preached by honestly naming sin. Yeah. You don't get to name it. You don't go to the gospel unless you're willing to name the sin. You, the, the book of Chron- the, the two Chronicles uh, uh, scrolls, right? First uh, and Second Chronicles, when you read First and Second Chronicles and compare them to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, given all out, no holds barred, David was a, a bad guy sort right, of depiction. Right. Like it is all of his foibles. And then you go to the Chronicles and it completely skirts all of David's sin. Right. And a lot of people are, well, is, is Chronicles like ignoring the sin of David? No, 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 no. It's already been named. Now we're going to focus on the sovereignty of God. Sure. You don't, we don't get to get to the sovereignty of God, the goodness. We don't get to get to the gospel. Until we've done First Samuel, First Kings, First Second first Example, First Second Kings, the naming has to happen, and that is the reckoning we're talking about here. And rather than fighting that, we should embrace it. Yeah, it is. It is. If we want a new generation to hear the message we have to say, we are going to have to do it through the message of um, how we botched it. And I know that may seem completely scandalous, and some may take total. Uh, total uh, issue with what I'm trying to say. But I work with a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, when you skirt over and ignore ways in which we botched it, it shuts the message down. We have no voice anymore. And there's a lot of fear behind that that prevents us from being honest. And yeah. it takes a lot of faith and courage to say, I was wrong. Um, yeah. I want to get back to After Doubt and just uh, ask you a little bit about, I mean, the title's really clever, and I think you were, you told me at one point that it was meant to be a playoff of the title After You Believe. Yeah, by N.T. Wright, yeah. By Wright, and then After Doubt. Uh, I like the title. I wouldn't change it, but it can give the impression that you can get to a place where yep. you're beyond doubt. Yep. Um, you don't say that in the book, uh, but what are you saying now that you're reflecting on this book you've written and the feedback over you know how many months— about where where is the mature place a Christian gets to? Um, what what's the mature Christian's relationship with faith and doubt? Let's let's yeah. let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> um, in a in a marriage, um, again, if Quinn's listening to this, uh, uh, she would be <laughs> the first to ad- admit this. That you know, when you when you enter into a marriage covenant with somebody, it is. You know, the 
glasses are pretty rosy at that stage. You, you know, you have a pretty, I don't know. Yeah. Rosy perspective on, we're going to be different. We're going to be right. unique. We're not going to be like other couples. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to be different. And that sort of enthusiasm, that naive enthusiasm lasts for a little while. Romanticizing. Yeah. Yeah. And it does last for a while. And it's glorious when it does. That honeymoon stage yeah. is just uh, awesome. And, um, and, and it works until it doesn't work anymore. And you begin to be seen for who you actually are. And that's a very vulnerable moment in a marriage when your spouse um, sees your duplicity and sees your, your narcissism and sees your grandiosity <laughs> and sees your, your thing. And in and, and, and a marriage, that is actually right there. That moment, that right there is, I think, when we are actually first married. Yeah. So we say, yes, I do. You know, you, you have sex, you go on your honeymoon, you do that, all that awesome stuff. But the marriage doesn't really begin uh, until until you're really seen. Yeah. That, I think, is the heart of the book. That a lot of us have, we are in that sort of exciting, awesome, rose-colored stage in, in following Jesus. And it's a beautiful stage. Live into it. Enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it. The crisis is coming. Yeah. And when it does... When you begin to see who Jesus is, and he begins to see who you are, that, after that moment, is where true fidelity takes rise. Yeah, that, that, I think that's really helpful. I remember a handful of years ago, uh, my wife and I were at a pretty difficult place in our marriage. We've been married six, seven years, a little bit more than that. And I remember I was driving to a meeting, a long drive with one of my colleagues who's older than me and and someone I really admire and look up to, Lauren Kearns. Yes, Lauren, the saint. Yeah. And we're driving along and I'm sharing with him these struggles. And he basically said to me, uh, he guessed how many years we've been married. Mm. And he said, yeah, we went through that too, as if it's a thing. Yeah, right, right. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, right around this time, there's some crash that happens. And that helped me a lot to know that this was predictable in some ways. I mean, nobody wants to have a crash, but in some ways, that's sort of just the way it is. And I think you're right. Like, we're at a place now where, you know, it's not honeymoon-like, but... Um, we've seen some of the darkest parts of our, you know, marriage and of of each other. Uh, some of the most annoying, let's put it that way, some of the most annoying parts of each other, and we've kind of settled into, you know, kind of a a, a place where we need and care for each other, even though we can be really honest with, hey, that really annoys me when you do that. <laughs> you yeah, know, hundred percent. It's that beautiful thing in a relationship where you can just say to somebody. You know, my wife says to me all the time, stop bouncing your leg. My, yeah, my right, leg right, bouncing right, drives right, her absolutely right. batty. And, you know, she can say that to me and I'll make a joke or roll my eyes or whatever. But that's that's part of our relationship uh, is is that sort of thing. And so um, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but, but getting people to a place in their faith where 
they're not expecting it to be all mountaintop experiences. That, that's exactly right. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, emotionally healthy church Christian, emotionally healthy spirituality, just just such a, a just such a saint of a man who has really introduced a lot of us evangelicals to what emotional health looks like. He has this. He does this. When you listen to Pete's stuff or, or read his stuff, he basically says the same thing over and over and over again in just different ways because because it's all just so good. good. Yeah. But he he he. One of the things he talks about uh, uh, with tremendous regularity is this experience that he calls the dark night of the soul, of course, which is an ancient medieval category for this experience of, you know, losing your sense of hope, who you are, you don't know what up and down is. But Scazzaro, he, he says uh, that we all go through uh, two conversions. Um, and conversion number one is when we first believe in Jesus. And he says the most, imp- that's an important conversion, but it's not the most important conversion. He says the second conversion is uh, the first conversion is when we first believe in Jesus. And the second conversion is what we do when we don't want to believe anymore. And that moment uh, where we, we everything in us says, I want to be done, I'm out, I'm struggling, I don't know how to believe anymore. That right there is where we are on a precipice yeah. of a whole new dimension of the Christian walk. And you and I see it all the time that at that stage, how many bounce and say, I'm done. You know, yeah. and and say I'm 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 finished at that stage. It's too difficult. I don't like the ways of Jesus. They're too difficult. They're too, too challenging. That you know, I've been wounded by the church. I don't want to believe anymore. And I'm not just saying we just bounce. People make decisions, and and those need to be honored. But that moment, those two conversions, believing, and then what you do when you don't want to believe anymore. Do you continue to believe, or do you do you follow that that internal uh, angst? That's a very important conversion. I'm writing for that moment. Yeah. That that is the moment. I am not writing to people who are brand new Christians. I am not writing for people uh who are in the sort of naive, awesome, rosy, everything is great stage. I'm writing for the person um who has been married to Christ long enough to know he knows me, he knows it all, and I know him, and I know a lot more, and it is not what I thought it was gonna be. Yeah. Well, there there's a factor that I don't think we consider enough, were we really in it in the first place? Mm. Were we really mm. deep in it in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I think about this when, you know, you know, not that I've, you know, contemplated, you know, leaving my wife or anything, but I think I would be lost without her. I mean, she, people, people often notice when we, when they meet us that she does almost all the driving because mm. uh, mm-hmm. I get stressed out by yep. traffic and whatnot. Yep. And so people often comment on it that that when we get in the car, she naturally goes to the driver's seat, and I naturally go to the passenger seat. And in you know, in so many different ways, you know, like there at Northern, there's this course that is overseas, and I I've re- I've refused to teach it because I need her to go with me because she helps me navigate the world. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just think, um, you know, she she's just a part of me, you know, even though we have times where. She 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 often notices that I have a hard time letting go of resentment yeah. and I hold grudges. So I'm working on that. Just hear that, people. I'm working on it. Mm. But so I get mad at her. I might give her the cold shoulder for a few hours or whatever. But we're too close for me to just walk away. I mean, I have to really count the cost, right? Mm. And mm. I'm not trying to minimize anyone's faith. But when I think about the attachment I have to my parents, to my kids, to my wife. That is, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine ever walking away. I mean, it'd just be so hard. Yeah. 
um, our lives are so you know intertwined. Intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think about uh, people that just give up, and 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 I'm not again trying not to minimize. There's there's real trauma there uh, sometimes. Um, but I think about like, okay, is there is there something that uh, umbilically connected them in the first place? Mm, mm. Uh, and that's often where I try to take people back to is is kind of that that uh, the the heart of that relationship. Yeah, Niji, I'll close with this. I mean, I um, the last couple of years have been very interesting for me. I'm 40. I just turned 40 um, this last year, and I I think. I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a, a doctor to 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 do the blood tests, or I don't know. I think I'm going through a midlife crisis. Okay. And I thought I, you already I, had that. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> I'm going through it. I think okay. it's present tense. And I go through these very very. Um, I go through these bouts of yeah. of. Uh, I mean, I've I've in the last. I'm again being very vulnerable here, but in the last year, had moments where I wanted to take my own life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had moments of not wanting to live anymore. That's the first time in my life I've experienced that. I've never yeah. I've never yeah. walked through that, and it is not because of circumstances. It is not because of anything other. My I I love my wife, my son, what I get to do for my job. Um, I love God. They it is just this very. It does feel like there's just something. Cha- I feel like a, a teenager. This changing body. I feel like I'm just changing. <laughs> yeah. And in in this time in my life, my wife um, Quinn has been compensating for me for a childhood where I was not always attuned to. I was not always mm. seen, and I was not always. Um, I was not always given permission to have difficult and, and hard feelings. And so I, I, as a kid, I didn't really have attunement. Yeah. And now my wife is attuning to me through a lot of these dimensions of what seems to be a midlife crisis. And I, I, I feel boy, I, I, the darker has never been darker and the bright has never been brighter. Hmm. And when you push through that wall into the second half of not only your life, but the second half of your journey with Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's, it's powerful. It's a, it's a, it's like resurrection. You know, it, it is, it is a resurrection story of like feeling like you've gone through a death period, but man alive on the other side of that death, um, of walking through that doubt, back into the arms of Christ. Bro, <laughs> I feel, I feel like powerful. crying just sitting here like yeah. thinking about yeah, those those moments of darkness are hard, but it makes the light so bright. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful we have friends like each other to yeah, walk us through these moments. And I'm glad that your wife lets you drive to Eugene by yourself uh, <laughs> to, to do our filming. It's one road. Recording. For those That's of you that don't live on the West long Coast. <laughs> And there's a it's there's an in and out on the way. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Hilarious. All right, DJ. Well, thanks for asking me about after yeah. and out. Uh, this it is- was my idea, by the way. It's not an advertisement from AJ. It's an advertisement from me. Yep. Thanks, DJ. <laughs>